0: Remembering Rwanda: Conversations about our shared history. Welcome to the podcast where we learn about the genocide in Rwanda against the Tutsi, 1994, and how literature and art create, shape, and restore our collective memory.
1: Welcome back to Remembering Rwanda. This is Anna, but today I'll be joined by the voices of Hannah, Ines, Laura, and Dora along with several other very special voices. So in this podcast, we've had the chance to talk to many different people and gain many different perspectives on the 1994 genocide against the Tutsis in Rwanda. Our guests have shared very personal thoughts and experiences with us on this podcast. So while we started this podcast because of a university seminar, it has become much more than an academic research or student project. This podcast is about planting seeds of African memory in Europe and beyond. It is a guardian of memory.
2: I was so intrigued. Like I wanted to, I I started listening to survivor stories. I started listening to perpetrator stories. I started listening to people whose parents, like my my friends, whose parents were still going through that and still had traumatic traumatic episodes, and so I started talking to my grandma more. I started talking to my mom more, and you know, when I have my cousin who is telling me how she watched her mom being butchered, I, you know, she she looks like me, she is me, you know, I I can't separate that story from myself more more anymore you know and her pain is my pain
3: and so and
4: for the survivors remembrance is uh, like can can uh, provoke or create trauma and anger then an example of my family the uncle of my my mother is uh, I I I don't I don't know if it is my uncle. <laughs> uh, my uncle and his family, my the uncle of my mother and his family, were the ones who killed my mom, my mother, and the four siblings. To remember this. We vote forgiveness, sometimes uh, uh, destroy my inner peace.
1: Another focus of this podcast, as you might have guessed by the name, is our shared history. We are all part of the creation of history. It's an active and constantly ongoing process. As we share our reflections, we also invite you to share yours. Internally, or through writing, art, speaking, poetry, whatever makes sense to you.
5: For this last episode, we agreed on doing short personal statements about our learning experience during the preparation and the recording of this podcast. And it sounds like, like an easy task, doesn't it? Just a simple, short personal statement about our learning experience that could either be creative or informative or whatever it may look like. But it wasn't an easy task for me. And what I present you now is not the result. What I've worked on the last weeks and even months. It is not what I've prepared or what I wanted. To prepare and couldn't finish. Instead, I want to try to explain why it was so difficult for me to record this short, simple, personal statement. The first reason is that I feel embarrassed. I feel embarrassed because whenever I had to read a book for the podcast, it was really hard for me to finish reading the books. I sat down, I sat there with a blanket and a cup of tea, opened the book, and then I thought, today I'm not in the right mood to read about people being killed, about murder, about injustice, about families being killed. Today I'm not in the right mood, today I'm not in the right condition. I will continue reading tomorrow. And the day after, it was the same. I felt that I was not in the right condition to engage with this heavy, heavy topic. And so it went on and weeks passed by and I really made no progress in reading the books. And then I realized that... Or how privileged I am that I can choose what I want to engage with and when. Or if I want to keep and care for my mental health. And then I realized that other people can't or couldn't choose if they want to engage with trauma and death and murder because they are confronted with it in their lives. And it's just me that I am privileged, that I can choose if I want to engage with this topic. And that made me feel embarrassed. The second reason why it was hard for me to record this statement is because I feel responsible. In Murambi, the Book of Bones, one of the most important fictional books about the genocide in Rwanda, in the preface, the author states, That we have to live, we have to learn to live responsibly in a violent world. And if you start to feel responsible for what happens in the world and not only care for your close environment, it is a very heavy and hard experience. Because suddenly you do not only care for what happens in your country, or on your continent, but you feel responsible or affected by what happens to people in Afghanistan, to people in Sudan, etc., etc. And it took me, it uh, takes me a long time to learn how to deal with that responsibility, because suddenly I'm not only responsible for myself, but for example, also responsible for our interview guests. and. There are many cases where people who wanted to give us an interview suddenly couldn't because they felt re-traumatized when talking about the topic or they felt that they the podcast might cause them problems in the countries they came from. So there are a lot of interviews that didn't take place and you never heard about because we and they felt responsible for what we do in this podcast. And the third reason why it was or is so difficult for me to record this statement is that for me it doesn't feel like the end of the journey. This last episode is not the end of the journey for me. I feel somewhere in the middle. I feel somewhere in between. And there are so many things I want to do. Till I can ever say that this is the end of the journey. I want to travel to Rwanda. I want to meet Rwandans. I want to read more Rwandan writers. And maybe then I can say that this is the end of the journey. But now, for me, it isn't. And these were the three reasons why... It was difficult for me to make this short personal statement and why I feel embarrassed, responsible and somewhere in between.
0: Learning about the genocide in Rwanda against the Tutsi last semester has brought about so many feelings. At times, I felt lost, numb, uneasy, terrified, and sad. And as we were starting with the podcast project, I also felt very doubtful. Can I do this project? Am I in a position to speak? What can I add to this discussion? How can I improve my knowledge? I often felt and feel like I don't know anything, certainly not enough. How can I talk in English if I can't even explain everything in my first language? The thought of putting everything into words is frightening, because it feels like there aren't any words that can really explain. So when I ask myself the question, what can we learn from a genocide? I think it should rather be, what can't we learn from a genocide? In Murambi, The Book of Bones by Boris Boubakar we read that every genocide matters, wherever it is, and that we all are and should be affected by it. He says, a genocide reminds every society of its essential fragility. And I think it's so important to remember that what happened in Rwanda is something we should all learn about, that we should all remember. So for me, an important step was putting my views into perspective being more aware of my own constructions, that my own perception of the truth is always just a construction and dependent on the circumstances and my knowledge at the moment. So there is just so much more to learn, to understand and to remember. And I just really hope that I'm doing my part. So as I've got the chance to say something to you, please care please do your part. We are all human beings and I think it's most human to care. So if there's one thing you take away from this podcast, I hope it's that it's our human responsibility to care about and for each other. Because I don't want to live in a world where the right to live is just applied to a few people in even fewer parts of the world. If there is injustice, if there are people dying and being killed in whatever part of the world, we should all care and do our best as fellow humans to protect and to help. So I still don't have answers to many of my questions and doubts. I still sometimes feel overwhelmed and frightened. And I guess you, you the listener of this podcast, have these feelings too. But I am learning, and you are learning. And I think, after all, that might just be the small first step needed in order to prevent future genocides, for it to never happen again.
6: When, when I went to Rwanda, I understood that I had to, to stick to the facts. And sometimes, and sometimes, uh, I, I heard or I witnessed terrible things. And uh, when I was writing my novel, I, I just thought, if I write that, nobody would believe me. And it would be an excuse for people because when the genocide was happened, nobody, nobody cared. People, they just thought, oh, it's Africa, always killing each other. If it's abominable, what will happen? They will say, oh, we were right. To, to not care. I want the people to, to deal with this matter rationally. I want them to feel guilty. When we say never again, for me, that's what it means.
1: In the first class of the seminar titled Black Skin, White Bones, Rwanda 1994, and Humanities Collective Memory Side, we talked about so-called healthy anger. For me, this idea of healthy anger became useful again and again as we got deeper into the topic of genocide. Because while our focus was on Rwanda 1994, memory side is everywhere. It's pretty much built into the fabric of our current society. I think because if we spent the time to truly think hard about how much death and destruction and genocide has taken place in modern history, uh, by that I mean post-Columbus, we'd be stopped in our tracks. So much loss that can never be recovered, and so much that we can only preserve a memory, memory that we actively suppress. This makes me really unbelievably angry. At the same time, anger isn't necessarily a productive emotion. It can be generative, but it is all too often disruptive, destructive, For my end, one result of my healthy anger was my contribution to this podcast, funneling my many overwhelming, disjointed, and upset feelings into this communal, generative space. My other method of expressing healthy anger is through writing. To close this statement, I'm going to share a poem I wrote. And for you, our listener, I hope you also have a space for healthy anger, a way to take in and process, and more importantly, remember. What happened in Rwanda in 1994. On this continent, they're transforming people into numbers and data. Sounding trumpets announce the glories of progress and technology. The language of memory is lost under the blaring of horns. They're not interested in the knowledge that comes from listening in the grass. Nor can they sit under the shadow of a hill and take in naked secrets. On this continent, it's glory, which is love, which is diamonds, which is lithium, which is rubber, which is blood. Despite this deafening cacophony of crude truths, space remains for memories remains, if one stops to unlisten.
2: My name is Angèle. I am 24 years old, and I can say with confidence that I have never felt this much anger as I felt during this semester while learning about the genocide in Rwanda that happened in 1994. Growing up, I always knew there was a genocide that happened in Rwanda, but knowing it, having it in some corner of your mind, it's so different than actually learning deeper about it. What was striking for me in this experience is the fact that When you read books, when you watch documentaries or movies or interviews or read articles, what they all have in common is the fact that no one at any point thought it was going to be that bad, that it was going to end with millions and millions of people dying. Everyone knew something was going on, but they thought, well, we are humans. We cannot do that to each other. But they did do that to each other. And this is what I want to remember from this experience. This is what I want to take out of it. The fact that, yes, we are human, but we are capable of the worst things. And it always starts little. So we cannot make anything to change what happened back then, but we sure can make sure that something like that never happened again in the future. How do we do that? By calling people out immediately. When you hear someone making a racist comment, call them out. When someone is being homophobic, misogynist, sexist, racist, you call them out immediately. It allows for this hate to be contained and it would always be easier to talk to one, two or three person at a time than to go against a whole movement of hate. I must say, even though I wasn't even born yet, I somehow feel guilty. And I guess a way for me to get all that guilt and all that anger out of me is to make my part. And my part is not letting hate surround me, bringing awareness to what happened. And I think just doing good, being good to other people is my way of coping with it. And I hope this can also be a way for other people to cope with it. We shall never forget what happened in Rwanda or what is happening in other parts of the world. And we should always actively try at our level to do something against it. Even if our level is just speaking, writing, anything really, just do not stay quiet. Do something.
7: Rwanda, 1994, writing for the sake of it never to happen again. That's why I call part of the course our collective memory. We are all concerned by what happened in Rwanda, and we all have an interest in it never to happen again. That's why we have such a course. That's why we take the time to do painful readings for your information. The first time I laid hands on Murambi, the Book of both that was at the library of the University of Bayreuth, I took the book out, spent the weekend reading, re-reading, and I had to shed tears. Is that the moment you learn about yourself, you feel ashamed, as I said, being a human being, being an African who didn't know what was going on, because when the people were being killed in Rwanda, we were watching the football World Cup, which is taking place in the United States of America. That's reality. So literature can help, literature can help healing. And uh, yes, it was Rolambad who said that uh, if you were to save only one discipline, it should be literature.
8: One of the strongest and most memorable things I've experienced on this journey, in the process of making this podcast and from the research and all the lectures that led to it, was one particular moment of anger that I felt when learning about the story of Romeo Delaire, who was a commander of UN forces in Rwanda. He was sent to Rwanda with the mission of keeping recently signed peace in Arusha, Tanzania. With very little information about what was really going on, he was sent to play a role of a protector, but ended up being the witness of the world's biggest massacre. Very soon after his arrival to Kigali, he starts to put together the pieces of the puzzles of an extremely complicated situation which he found there. He had an anonymous informant from high up in the inner circles of the interahamwe militia who told him that Hutu extremists have an order to register all the Tutsi in Kigali with the purpose of executing their extermination that had an estimated pace of up to 1,000 Tutsis killed in 20 minutes. 1,000 lives shut down in one-third of an hour. Pretty shocking, isn't it? And you know what U.N. said about it when it was faced with Delaire's constant efforts to stop a disaster in the time he started informing about new cognitions? The U.N. gave an order not to intervene and not attack first in any case. That decision costed a lot of human lives and is something which Dallaire finds difficult to forgive himself that he obeyed because on 21st of April, the UN Security Council decides to withdraw its forces from Rwanda, but Dallaire refuses to go, and in that moment he takes the first step towards being a man who stood against and confronted such an institution because of his own belief they are doing the wrong thing. In that moment, Romeo Dallaire started to be a black sheep for UN, onto whom Belgian senator tried to put guilt when meeting on a conference on Rwanda genocide in 2004. Anyhow, Romeo Dallaire seems to be a hero Rwanda needed, even though the story of Rwanda from 1959, when the first attacks began, and until 1994, isn't a story that finished with something we can call a happy ending. After the genocide, Delaire was publicly and on tribunal calling out the UN for not doing more. And then the UN gave him an ultimatum. Either he would stop doing so or he would have to leave the military. Something he really, really lived for. But then he chose Rwanda overall. Once you hear the story of Lieutenant General Romeo Delaire, you cannot not to feel anger, shame and fear for the world we live in and you cannot not to feel blame for being ignorant towards the 1994 genocide against the Tutsi in Rwanda. However, that was not the only anger this story personally made me feel. In 2004, during Delaire's visit to Rwanda, he gave a speech at the National University of Rwanda in Butare in which he stated that he as a force commander, failed the Rwandan people since January 1994. That statement is a grand gesture from him, and it puts the layers back once again as a sacrificial lamp of our shared responsibility. But one thing that I can't just overlook, is drawing a parallel from Rwanda to Yugoslavia, which Delaire does in his speech. He claims that Yugoslavia is seen as more important in terms of strategic value, and that is why, as he claims, the UN has sent a lot more of its forces there to solve that situation than it ever did to Rwanda, placing Yugoslavia in a more privileged position. And as someone who is coming from Croatia, one of the countries that formed ex-Yugoslavia, I cannot turn my head and not say anything on this. First of all, it is important to mention that the situation the is referring to as something that is happening in Yugoslavia is actually happening in Bosnia and Herzegovina, and the Yugoslavia as a country, in the time he talks about, no longer exists. And it made me angry to see that someone who has given his all and has stood up to defend Rwandans because he has seen the ignorant treatment the world has prepared for Rwanda, and on the other hand has been ignorant to the other part of the world, and making conclusions, not grasping the full picture. At that time, Bosnia and Herzegovina is having a liberation war, partly similar to what Croatia went through just a few years before both of them with the help of the Blue Helmets and resulting with a genocide. Except that, as people claim, the help of UN wasn't very much helpful, and particularly in terms of Srebrenica genocide, to which the is most probably referring to, you will hear that not only that UN forces wasn't helpful, then that they, as many local people say, helped in organization of that genocide. And yes, it might be true that a lot more UN soldiers came on the territory of ex yugoslavia than it ever came to Rwanda. Even though in Croatia and Bosnia and Herzegovina was a far smaller number of victims than in Rwanda, but the two genocides, Ovčara and Srebrenica, weren't avoided. But war, the genocide, the pain and the loss they bring is never about the numbers. The value of human life is something that cannot be measured and therefore putting it in a comparison, in an equation and applying any mathematical laws to the variables as pain and value of human life is a dangerous, dangerous zone. Turning my head and leaving this delirious comment to go by and staying silent about what UN's blue helmets were doing or weren't doing on the territory of the ex-Yugoslavia is a step back in resolving the 1994 genocide against the Tutsi in Rwanda because it's showing ignorance once again, which is exactly the thing that is trying to change towards Rwanda.
9: am I talking? Why am I actually talking? As if my voice is better. As if your story gets heard more clearly when I tell it. You tell me, it has always been this way. We ensure who we are. And even more who you are. We told you, learn and listen. That's how it's supposed to be. We thought. We thought of thinking for you. Telling your stories for you. But why did it never occur to me? What I really wanted to hear was your story, not mine. Because mine has been told so many times, over and over again. I feel sick and overeaten by it. I feel it's time for me to finally sit down and listen, and learn from you. Learn and listen something new. I wanted to start my conclusion statement with a poem called Learn and Listen. It's a poem I wrote throughout the semester, while we dealt with the genocide against the Tutsi in 1994 in Rwanda. And I was never really into writing poetry. I never thought it was a strength of mine. And I can't say it is now, but it kind of helped me to deal with the topic. I asked myself, what what do I actually want to express? What do I want to tell you in this statement? And the girls encouraged me to share one of my poems. And I feel it's the right way to just speak about my thoughts because I can't express it in spoken words, not sufficiently enough. I don't know how to say what I felt throughout the semester, throughout preparation of the podcast, because it's impossible to explain those feelings. It's a mixture of sadness, anger, confusion, hopelessness. But there were moments of joy as well because... I saw how how much beauty can come out of something horrible like a genocide. And for me writing was always a way to deal with my thoughts and my feelings. We actually had a private letterbox throughout the semester where we could share thoughts and feelings with our professor and I'm hugely thankful for that because when I started preparing for our presentation on Scholastic Mukasonga and read her works, I got an incredible huge feeling of sadness and there's a term the romantics coined in a way and it's called Weltschmerz. it's a feeling of sadness melancholy so much more but yeah that's how I felt and I I didn't know how to how to use what I was doing to have an impact I don't know I wondered if it was just paralyzing me so I wrote my thoughts down And I want to share some thoughts I had with you right now. We talked about feeling sick every now and then while researching for our course's topic. And it isn't that I wasn't properly engaged with it from the start. On the contrary, but in the beginning we talked more about general things like memory, colonial linguistics. And it's important. I know that and I appreciate um, that we were given such a broad insight. Those were the times when I could distance myself properly from the topic. It wasn't so personal yet. The more I learn and read now and have learned and read, the more personal it gets, and emotional to me at least. Because it gets personal with the faces and the individual stories behind it, I feel sick more and more every day. I can't distance myself anymore. Because even if I try different distractions and procrastination, it is as if a dark cloud is hanging over my head, and I can't focus on anything else properly. That made me realize even more how privileged I am. Because, in general, throughout my life, I can choose, and I could always choose, to not engage and think about topics like a genocide. The Rwandans, for example, can't. The survivors can't do that. I am constantly asking myself how someone can live with that trauma on their backs. Not only Rwandans, but also from other horrible events in the past, as we were discussing while preparing for the podcast. For example, with my past as an Austrian as well, with the Holocaust, and my family being a part of such a society and world where I actually don't know how they thought about anything, how they thought about it. I'm angry, but mostly anxious and sad. So sad. And writing those reflection poems helps. They are short. But I'm losing my words. I'm lost of words. Lost in my feelings and feeling helpless. What can we do? What can I do? And doing that podcast, having the honor to meet so many people who were willing to talk to us about a really traumatizing topic, who shared their stories, their art, their healing process in a way, was so incredible for me that I just want to continue with engaging in difficult topics. And learn more and educate myself and that's exactly what I'm doing and I wrote a poem after every session we had in class so I don't know I just think I want to share one last thing as hopefully my state of the art right now (laughs) how I want to continue and what my learning experience of it was What I've learned so far is simple. I'm on the path of learning. And even if I gain knowledge more and more, it doesn't automatically mean that all knowledge is in Mina. There's so much more to gain. Wisdom doesn't come for free. It keeps me accountable for what I know. Even more so for what I don't. Not yet, but I've still got time. As wisdom keeps whispering, you have to learn and to not forget ever. Always remember, you have privilege, so much of it already. More than others can even dream of, so do not forget. Even if it's just your option to turn away and rest when things get too hard on your end. My poems are my way to deal with my thoughts and feelings and I hope you have a way to cope with yours as well. But I also hope you join me and us in keeping on learning and educating ourselves because i think with the privilege and recognizing our privilege also comes a responsibility and i'm very aware of that responsibility that i can't turn away anymore that i have to engage just for the sake of those who don't have that privilege
7: In White Bones, Rwanda 1994 and humanity's Collective Memory Site. Murakaza welcome in Kenya, Rwanda. Welcome to this episode of the podcast series on the genocide against the Tutsi in Rwanda. I had great fun preparing this course in January, February 2021, but also painful moments going through the material on this sensitive topic which belongs to our common heritage. For this reason, I spoke of memory side in the title. My idea was to invite my friends on the curiosity journey to hear about this genocide, but more importantly, to start their journey against memory side, fighting against deleting traces of memory. This is why we spoke among others about Gugi Wothyongo's concept of remembering, that is, putting together parts which had been violently separated. Franz Fanon's black skin white mask, that is, the alienation of the soul and the body. Linguicide, when languages kill one another and writing for it never to happen again. For it never to happen again. This is why this podcast is both academically and socially relevant. Together with my co-teachers we explored novels, short stories, comic strips, poems, music, movies and a drama series with the aim to have an idea of the complex mechanisms at play for such a shame to happen in 1994 when the world was busy watching the football World Cup in the United States of America and celebrating the release of Pulp Fiction. To put it simple, in a year in which the world was busy being ignorant, as one participant in the course summarises the situation. It is the shame of being busy being ignorant that pushed a writer like Boubacar Yop to join the project Écrire par devoir de mémoire in 1998. The result is his masterpiece, Murambi, the Book of Bones, that is the representative book for the Neuhaus International Prize for Literature that Bobaka Yop will receive in 2022. In April, the month of the beginning of the genocide against the Tutsi in Rwanda, we had the privilege to listen to this poet of genocide. To paraphrase the Kenyan cultural giant, Masri, who said that Africa needs more poets of war. Not people who make the apology of war, but critical and poetic minds who archive such ugly moments in their works, for it never to happen again. Here, I will quote from one of the writers whose comic strip we analyzed in our journey, Rupert Bazambanza in smile through the tears the story of the rwandan genocide these are his words in the introduction of this project of art he started in order to heal himself and hopefully others i'm quoting from bazan panza the first part of my mission is complete i dedicate smile through the tears to the ranga family to my father my loved ones and the nearly 1 million other victims of the Tutsi genocide in homage to their martyrdom. And I invite my fellow survivors to continue with the sacred task. Otherwise, they will never know peace, as I once did not myself. As for me, my work is far from done. I will, I'll vow to continue with my mission to fight racism and to perpetuate the memory of the Tutsi genocide so that it may never happen again until my dying breath. The podcast has joined this mission, sharing the news for it never to happen again. Again, Murakazaneza to all my co-teachers during this journey and especially to the fantastic podcast team. You all brilliantly put into practice one facet of my teaching philosophy borrowed from a Chinese proverb. Teachers can open the door, but you must enter it yourself.
1: Thank you so much for joining us for this episode. We're so happy to have had the chance to share our thoughts and reflections with you. And we'd like to thank our colleague, Angela Biquet, and assistant professor, Dr. Remy Chacote for their reflections as well. When we started this podcast, we assumed it would be a relatively straightforward process. We only expected to produce a few episodes and release them over the summer. But of course, that wasn't exactly the case. In this episode, we reflected on where we started and where we are now. We've also thought a lot about where we're headed. These first seven episodes are something like our season one of the podcast. And so while we'll be taking a break from our current schedule, there's more planned. We hope you'll continue this journey with us. And to end this episode, we want to add one final reflection. Throughout this episode, you've heard snippets from two songs. One called Soul of Rwanda by Liam Colomer, and the other by the artist Tita Diana, called Iwanyu. Iwanyu is the opening track to the album by the same name. We'd like to share some of the lyrics to the song and a few words by Tieta Diana, then play it in its entirety to close this journey. Oh, mama land, for so long I've been running, running, knocking on doors, running, looking for a home. And finally, finally I can see, finally I can breathe. Finally, I'm free. I don't want to run anymore. Today, Rwanda is a home for all with doors open for everyone to come and go, that is a true sense of peace that I personally don't take for granted. We are grateful.
10: Yo, yo.
3: Anymore. I don't wanna run any more. Run, run run anymore. I don't wanna run any more. I don't wanna run any more. I don't wanna run any
0: Thank you for listening and participating in Our Collective Memory. For further reading, please check out the links provided in the episode description. We really appreciate your curiosity. If you liked our podcast, please share it with other curious people around you.